Good morning, Westside. How are you all doing? It's good, good. Uh, like Christine said, my name's Tori. Um, I've been a pastor here now for roughly two years, uh, two and a half, but I've been with the Westside community for up to seven years now. And uh, before I go on, I just want to say a big thank you to you, Westside, for how you've invested in me uh, personally in my own spiritual walk, but also in my calling as a pastor. Um, I'm very, very thankful for you and uh, just your investment into me. Um, yeah, so I figured since I have the stage now, I'll quickly say that, put that out there as a big thank you just uh, for Westside. I've been blessed a ton by you. And I'm also very thankful today because I get to talk about things I love. So I love Jesus. Uh, you know, that's, I'm sure, surprising. You probably weren't expecting that. I love uh, Jesus a ton. I love the Bible a lot. I'm a big fan of the Bible. I, I would read it in my spare time. So that's, that's how much I love the Bible. Um, I did my uh, theology degree at Ambrose University just up the road, uh, same place where Nikayla teaches. Unfortunately, I never actually had a class with Nikayla, so if, if the sermon's not good today, it's because of that. I just never had a class with Nikayla. So that's, 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 that's why. And if the sermon goes well today, it's because we believe in a God of miracles. That's, that's, that's why. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm really excited today to talk, to talk about the Bible, to share with you, and um, specifically with this incredible, incredible series through the book of Acts. Like, this has been such an exciting, encouraging, challenging series for me, both last summer and this summer, just seeing the early church and how the Holy Spirit has just caused beautiful chaos for people. Different groups are coming together that have nothing to do with one another. The gospel is being preached. People are being saved. People are being healed. Like, this is big stuff. And the Holy Spirit is working wonders in this early church. The world is being up, turned upside down for so many of these people. And so that's why I've been really encouraged by it. I know this is a book that's uh, very pertinent for today. It's, it's, you see so much of it today, and we need it here today. Um, so my, my talk, my sermon is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're actually going to be doing a bit of a character study today. So we're going to pinpoint on one guy, and it's this guy here, uh, Barnabas. Uh, love this guy. Like, if there's one thing you get out of this sermon, it's just Barnabas, just an amazing, amazing guy. You, I want you to love Barnabas, like, so much. We, we should be more like Barnabas. He's just a solid guy. And don't, don't take my word for it. Like, Luke, the author of Acts, hypes this guy up every chance he gets. Like, it's just like, okay, Luke, we get it. Barnabas is great, but... And then, and then eventually he gets you also on his side. And uh, that's, that's my goal for us today, is that you will really come to love Barnabas, because he's an incredible Bible character. And um, specifically, Barnabas the pastor. So I think Barnabas is very much the pastoral presence throughout the book of Acts. Uh, he's a bit more kind of behind the scenes. Um, some of you maybe not have even noticed it, but he's very prevalent, but in very much on brand with how Barnabas is. He's just faithful and consistent, doesn't need to be the center of attention, but he's just like, man, I love Barnabas. So that's, I'm, I'm excited about this. So I don't know about any of you. I'm on cloud nine. This is, this is super exciting for me. 
don't, de- don't tell David or Christine this, but I would be up here for free. So, like, but, but that'll be our, just our little secret. Okay, so. Um, but specifically, as we journey through uh, the book of Acts and, and talk about Barnabas, there's two kind of major themes I want to kind of unpack and reflect on. Uh, Pastor Barnabas, the faithfulness. Uh, man, this guy's faithful. Like, just and consistent and like a slow, like, bearing fruit. It's, just, it's absolutely beautiful. So faithfulness, consistency. And then on the other side, risk taker. Like this guy is committed and he's all in. On people, on the church, like he's not on the fence. Like I don't want you to come out of the sermon thinking Barnabas is just a nice guy who does these nice little things for people. But man, he's committed and he takes risks for people. And it's like, it's just beautiful. So does that sound good? Does that sound your... Hopefully, hopefully, as we kind of journey through, you'll be able to pick up on some of these themes and, uh, yeah, just be encouraged by this amazing, amazing individual. So early on in the book of Acts, the, the church has started, the Holy Spirit has come, Pentecost Sunday has happened, uh, the healings are starting to happen, like people are being generous, and we pick up here that, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So the early church, they were generous. Like, people were all in. They were literally selling the farm on this Jesus guy. Like, just all, all in. And then Luke, in his amazing storytelling ability, uh, introduces our our main man, Barnabas, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And I put up here the First Nations translation just to, to pinpoint something. So the First Nations translation says, There was a man among them named Creator Adsmore. That's what Joseph means. Creator Adsmore, who was given the name Son of Comfort. That's what Barabbas, or Barnabas means, not Barabbas. That's a totally different character. We don't want to deal with him. Barnabas, by the message bearers. And here's the thing. So in, early, in the early church and early Judaism, names had a great significance to them. Like they were intrinsic to your identity. Like I give nicknames all the time. I think it's funny. Majority of people I give nicknames to probably don't appreciate it, but that's, that's I, I do it, so that's all right. But this isn't just a nickname, right? So if they were to actually give this name, there's a deep significance to this. And it's something Barnabas actually embodies. It's intrinsic to his identity. He is the son of encouragement, the son of comfort. He's not just a nice guy who says nice things all the time. He actually embodies this son of encouragement. And I love Luke, the author, how he just pinpoints this right away as he introduces this character. This is someone who has integrity, who's loved in the early church, who's a leader in the early church, and who has been um, uplifting, encouraging. Uh, I specifically want to, I love the son of comfort as well. Like we often associate comfort with um, like a a nice warm blanket or a teddy bear or something like that. But uh, the etymology of comfort is actually comfortis, which is to give strength. It's to to give encouragement. You're giving this thing. And it's, it's not just a, a nice warm blanket. You are giving someone strength. 
You're giving someone, you are empowering someone. So that's, that's a ton in that introduction of a character. We actually, there's actually more in this introduction of Barnabas. When he, Luke says, So Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So right away, we know this guy is fully committed to the church, to the gospel. He's present to the Holy Spirit, and he's all in. He's not on the fence. He's radically, radically committed to this cause. Because obviously there's, in our time, selling your land and giving it all away is a pretty big deal. But it, back then, like, your land was, like, through generations and generations. Like, this was a big ask and a big sacrifice for Barnabas. And he does it. He's a risk taker. He's someone who's been touched by the gospel. He's someone who actually has encountered the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And now he's all in and he's present to the Holy Spirit. And he's all in and he's willing to take these risks. And I love this. And I love how, like, right out of the gate, Barnabas is coming in hot. He's, he's all in. But we'll notice as we continue on in the book of Acts, uh, Barnabas actually seems to just remain faithful consistent, subtle, doesn't have to be the center of attention. And I, I just love that even though there's this big high right in the beginning with Barnabas, he's all in. He's, he's selling the farm. He remains consistent. He remains faithful in the normalcy of life, in the mundane, in the boring, perhaps. And this is just a valuable lesson I think we especially need in today in our churches that we, we have the big moments. We thank God for the big acts of faith. They're beautiful. We need them. But the real fruit is in the consistent faithfulness of a believer in our everyday lives. It's the consistent faithfulness in your work, in your schools, in your families. That's where the real ripe fruit comes from. And we'll see this more and more as we journey through Acts, that the faithfulness of Barnabas is where his real impact and fruit come from. So back to the book of Acts. So Acts 4 happens. Barnabas is introduced. A bunch of stuff happens. There's persecution in the church. And then we're introduced to this guy named Saul. Uh, Saul's not a good guy to start off with. He's actually a bit of a jerk. You don't, you don't, he's, uh, Luke is very adamant that like, this guy is wanting to destroy the early Christians, annihilate them. He uses the words of murderous threats, uh, breathing murderous threats towards the Christians. So Saul, like pre-Damascus Road, Saul is not a good guy. Like as far as in regards to the Christians, and he's committed to stamping them out, and uh, like it's like a, a sense of scariness. Like you, you I know we like Paul, and kind of post Damascus Road, he's awesome, and we like him, and we're thankful for him. But pre Damascus, he's he's like a scary guy, especially for the early Christians. But of course, Damascus, he has this radical, radical encounter with the living God, Jesus Christ. And his world is flipped totally upside down. And everything has changed for him. It's a beautiful story. I think AJ talked about that last year. So it's on our YouTube 
channel if you want to check that out last year. Anyway, um, so he has this radical encounter, uh, goes to Damascus, hangs out with the Christians there for a little bit. There's persecution, comes back to Jerusalem, and that's where we uh, are here. So when he saw, when he saw, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And I mean, like, no kidding, right? Like, this guy was about to murder them, and now he's like, I'm actually your friend, guys. I'm on your side. I mean, that's like, yeah, right, Saul. Good, good try. But I love this, love, love this next line. And this is amazing storytelling from Luke. But Barnabas took him. So we, don't, we haven't heard from Barnabas since chapter 4, and now he's back. And he's just once again on brand for Barnabas. So I'm like, of course, Barnabas is the one. Barnabas is the one to take a risk. Take a risk on Saul. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Just, I, just think, if that, those couple little words there, but Barnabas took him. If that didn't happen, we probably wouldn't be here. Like, I guess it, it does depend on your, you know, theology and providence, and we're, we probably would have been here, but just for the sake of the argument, roll with me on this one. But, but if Barnabas didn't actually take Saul in, the whole course of human history wouldn't have gone the way it has. We probably wouldn't have been here. But it's that little act of faith, that big risk, obviously, he could have died, he could have been murdered, but it was this little act of faithfulness that changed the course of history. Church, we don't have to have these big acts of faith. It's remaining consistent in the small things, being consistent with people and faithful to people, no matter what. That one little line, Change the course of history. On August 28th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his iconic speech, I Have a Dream, to over 250,000 civil rights supporters from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. So this is the height of the civil rights movement. Um, talk about, you know, the Book of Acts exemplified in modern day, like, Civil rights movement was so spirit-filled, so biblically rich. Like, this was, stuff was happening. Um, walls were being broken down. Uh, people were being dignified, humanized. And the pinnacle, kind of the, yes, the, the iconic moment was Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. And specifically, this moment of uh, when he said, I have a dream. It's the second half of the speech. I have a dream, and then just uh, goes and goes and goes. But did you know, there's a fun fact for you, that this line, this iconic line that all of us probably know, it's deeply held in our, in our culture, this line specifically was improvised. It wasn't actually a part of the speech originally. Uh, so this is Mahalia Jackson. Um, Jackson is known as the queen of gospel singers. Uh, she's the 
also known as the voice of the civil rights movement. Uh, beautiful, beautiful voice, like just powerful, triumphant voice that just resounds when you hear it. Um, she grew, uh, grew up in poverty, but through just her dedication, she um, inevitably grew in fame, but also remained loyal to her gospel roots. She's a gospel singer. Um, she had many offers to go more into the, the secular world, but she was, remained kind of very committed to gospel singing. And she was good friends with Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and she became kind of the voice, once again, the voice of the civil rights movement. And she was there on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when Martin Luther King Jr. was giving her speech. And as King was giving his speech and the momentum started to build, I, I believe the spirit was starting to move in that moment. Uh, King was getting emotional, and all of a sudden, Jackson uh, tells, says these words to King. Tell him about the dream, Martin. And that's when, I believe, MLK, the speech writer, turned into MLK, the preacher. And, he, and I love, like, the ending of the speech is beautiful. It's deeply biblical and it's just, it's so inspiring. This is the pinnacle of the civil rights movement. King ends with a deeply biblical uh, dream. He says here, One day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. He probably wouldn't have said that if it wasn't for Jackson here. That little act of faith, that little bit of just improvisation, of being aware and present to the Spirit, changed the course of history. Like this is one of the most important speeches ever. Because of an awareness of the Spirit, a faithfulness to the present, a consistency, we, we now have this beautiful, beautiful speech. And history is filled with all these little acts of just small faithfulness. Small faithfulness, big risks possibly on people, on moments that change the course of history. Just like Barnabas with Saul. All right, back to uh, Acts, back to Barnabas. Um, so as we journey through the book of Acts, Barnabas takes in Saul, gives early churches now fully on board with this Saul guy. The story goes on. And then as I was reading through the book of Acts, I realized something that Barnabas is essentially the pastor, the mentor to Paul. You know, I think we often associate Paul with being just like right out of the gate. He's ready. He's filled with the spirit. He's got the head knowledge. He's He's good to go. But I, I just love this idea that even the apostle Paul needed to be mentored, needed to be pastored, needed the slow process of discipleship. That's slow, that's faithful, that's consistent, that's in the small things, not all the big things, but especially. And Barnabas is the perfect guy for that. So, next time we hear from Barnabas, there's a 
a, big, a bunch of stuff happening in the city of Antioch, and they need, they need some help in Antioch, so we come, come to this passage here. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So, of course they'd send Barnabas, because Barnabas is a good guy. We love Barnabas. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Once again, Luke can't just help himself. Of course he needs to hype up Barnabas once again. He's like, he's a good man. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. Oh, there's Saul again, Barnabas and Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I love, love this. So Barnabas comes, with, comes up with this idea. Hey, I remember that Saul guy. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to reach out to Saul, bring him back to Antioch. I'm going to pastor him for a year. I'm going to mentor him for a year. And there's fruit, profound fruit, even in that just little year. I know we often associate like acts as like a event after event after event. There's a bunch of stuff happening, but there's a, there's a ton of middle space where it's just the slow faithfulness, the slow consistency of the early Christians being present, being present to the Holy Spirit. And I love this. The Apostle Paul needed a pastor, needed mentorship. And it continues. So you, you start to can see a, a friendship, a strong bond between Barnabas and Saul. And I'm sure you all know, like if you've been following along with the series, you're aware of this friendship. The, the friendship begins to truly blossom. This bond is unbreakable. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a Jonathan and David or a Naomi and Ruth, where it's just unbreakable. They seem to take on the world. They're speaking boldly. They're speaking uh, the gospel to, to all, no matter what, even in amongst persecution, they remain faithful to each other. And in Acts 12 here, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Salvia uh, and sailed, from, sailed there to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So I want just pinpoint that last sentence there. That'll come, come later. It's, uh, what I love about the Bible, and especially Luke, there's a bunch of the like, Easter eggs. I, I was told that well, this might be a Gen Z thing, like Easter eggs of like, like little tidbits that are like fun for later that you only know if you're reading a few times. So this is one of those. This is a little Easter egg, a little tidbit that you should be aware of for later. A little foreshadowing, if you will. So, yes, Holy Spirit is on Barnabas and Paul. They're making headway, kingdom, Holy Spirit, all that good stuff. And it continues from Paphmos, Paul and his companions, uh, Barnabas is included in that, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John had left them to return to Jerusalem. So once again, this is, it seems random in the moment. of like, why is Luke... Talking about this John guy, especially in the, like, there's a bunch of stuff happening. Paul and Barnabas are cruising along, but this is important later. So the journey is going well. 
the unbreakable bond between Barnabas and Paul. And, and you start to see, actually, the transition a little bit. Paul begins to speak a, t- a lot more, which maybe doesn't surprise you. Paul probably seems like the guy who would like to be the talker, and, uh, which is great. We love Paul for that. But every Paul needs a Barnabas who is able to come alongside and lift, lift them up. Who doesn't need to be the center of attention, who doesn't need to be the voice, but is just the comforter, the encourager, a faithful friend, a pastor, takes risks once again. I feel like now, I know preachers always say this, like now more than ever we need, you know, this, this, and this, but I really feel like now more than ever we need a Barnabases in our church and in our schools, in our work, in our society, right? Who don't have to be the center of attention, are just faithful, are willing to lift others up, especially those on the margins, especially the poor, the weak. We're just remain faithful, consistent, allow God to work, being so secure in our identity in Jesus, so aware of our own forgiveness, just the love Jesus has for us. We don't have to get that somewhere else. Thank God for people like Barnabas. So, continuing on, the book of Acts. Stuff is happening. It's going well. Um, the last, last week, Nicola talked about the Jerusalem Council. That seemed to be like a real triumphant moment in the narrative. It's like, and Paul and Barnabas, they're just, they're on, they're cruising. Everything's just good. It reminded me of like, you know, in movies when it's like that musical montage where it's like all the good stuff's happening and it's like, oh man, like everything's just going well. It's a bunch of different scenes of the good stuff happening. That's where I feel like we were at. And then, of course, right after that, something tragic happens, something bad happens. And that's kind of what I was thinking of when this story inevitably came up. So Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. So that's the guy that we were talking about before. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. The Greek in this text is very adamant. Like this was an intense conflict. Like it wasn't just, you know, a little fight. They had a sharp disagreement. This was vitriolic. This was intense and they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As I was working on this sermon and kind of reading through Acts a few times and realizing just the bond Barnabas and Paul had just like this friendship that seemed unbreakable. This really like made me sad. 
Like, this was a brotherhood that was, like, they were doing amazing things. They were ushering the kingdom, bearing witness to what Jesus had done and was doing. And they break up because of this one guy, John Mark. And I was genuinely was kind of struggling with this. Like, this makes sense for Barnabas, right? Like, of course Barnabas is going to be the one remaining faithful, taking risks on people. Like, this, this is, yeah, this is on brand for uh, Barnabas. But I did, I was genuinely struggling with Paul on this one. And like, Paul, like, isn't the gospel, like, just, like, committed, unconditional love, like, loving the least of these? And it, 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 it yeah, I was, I was really struggling with this text. And it does seem like God still blessed Paul's ministry, obviously. Um, Paul chose Silas, and they did amazing things, and that's continued on in Acts. Barnabas is done. We don't hear from Barnabas at all in the book of Acts. He goes truly behind the scenes. Like, this is deeply, deeply sad. But I have, and I was asking the questions, like, why, Paul? Because I think Barnabas might have been the one who was maybe right on this one. And Paul was a little bit left behind. Uh, Willie James Jennings, in his commentary... Uh, says this, Barnabas always seems to be ahead of Paul, drawing Paul to where he should be. It was Barnabas who took a dangling Saul up to Jerusalem so he might be accepted by the apostles. It was Barnabas who set Paul's hands on the right plow in Antioch, making him a co-laborer in the new work among Gentiles. Barnabas was a bridge for Paul from old to new life. If the apostles had named him the son of encouragement, then Luke's narrative names him risk-taker. Because Barnabas always seemed, seemed to always make a heavy wager on people. Now was no different. Mark should come with them. This was Barnabas's wager. Yet it seems that Barnabas was ahead of Paul, trying to bring him where he needed to be in that inescapable struggle of trusting. Church, we're called to take risks on people. We're called to love the least of these, to remain faithful in the normalcy of life, but also take risks on people, especially people that just seem to keep screwing up, that seem to be quite different from us. We need to take risks on people. Uh, Victor Hugo is an author. He wrote uh, Les Mis. This was actually the book that Christine was talking about before. Um, so this is, this is the book that I, I really like and that I've been working through. Um, you, might, you probably know the musical or the movie where it's like, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs? It's, it's that one. It was originally a book. Um, and Victor Hugo is an incredible writer. He's, a, I think, a poet at heart that writes novels. So he's, he's incredible, incredible prose. And this book specifically is just deeply rich with um, 
the gospel and just forgiveness, commitment, all that good stuff. And um, when I was reading through Acts and I was thinking about Barnabas, the person that came to mind immediately was Miral the bishop in Lemez. So the bishop is just, just the first quarter of the book, really. Um, and he is just a, a, an amazing, amazing character. So the bishop is this old, old guy who's just in this town um, and just remains faithful, consistent, deeply kind, uh, deeply spiritual, like has a rich spiritual life. He's, he prays, um, he's in scripture, and he's just like, just a Barnabas type figure. And you fall in love with him right away as you're reading. Uh, Les Mis, the entire story, follows the protagonist of Jean Valjean. So Jean Valjean is a uh, ex-convict. He's just out of prison. He's really just uh, a heart that is um, very calloused, very cold for just what society has done to him, what the prisons have done to him. Um, just no hope and just a shell of himself, really. And he's in the town trying to look for somewhere to stay because he's out of prison now, but he has nowhere else to go. So he's um, trying to find different places. No one's going to take in an ex-con. But of course, he comes up to the house of the bishop. And once again, on brand, the bishop takes him in. Incredible hospitality for Jean Valjean. He gets the best meal gets a bed. You just fall in love with the bishop and how just incredibly generous and kind he is to this convict. But of course, as the narrative continues, um, the Jean Valjean leaves and steals a candlestick. Uh, then as he's running away with the candlestick, gets caught by the cops. Or cops, I don't know if that's what they would call him back then, but the authorities... And the authorities bring him back to the bishop. And the bishop has basically the life of Jean Valjean in his hands. He could, Jean Valjean will go back to prison if the bishop says so. But what I love about the bishop and just exemplifying Jesus and Barnabas is that he um, says, tells the authorities I gave Jean Valjean a candlestick, freeing him from more prison. Uh, Jean Valjean is obviously quite taken aback by this. He's never experienced this kind of radical love, this gospel love, forgiveness. It changes him deeply within. This is a, a profound, holy love that is only something Jesus really could muster up. And you see it throughout the narrative as Jean Valjean continues. This moment truly impacts him for the better and is following him. You don't see the bishop anymore throughout the novel, but the, his influence is eminent through, through it all. Still, just behind the scenes, consistent, a small, radical act of love can have all the difference. The bishop... But I love this quote, and um, I feel like this is just 
This is what the church needs. needs. This is what the pa- a pastor is. So Monsieur Miro, that's the bishop, could be summoned at any hour to the bedside of the sick and dying. He's not unaware that this was his most important duty and his most important work. Widowed and orphaned families had no need to ask. He came on his own accord. He had the understanding to sit quietly with the man who had lost his wife he loved, with the mother who had lost her child. Just as he knew when to remain silent, he also knew when to speak. A wonderful comforter. He did not try to blot out sorrow through oblivion, but to magnify and dignify it through hope. I love that last line. To give hope, to give strength to those who just need it. And that's what I feel like Barnabas was to John Mark. What I love about the Bible is that there's, once again, these like little Easter eggs, little tidbits of information that just like make it so awesome. And I, I just love it. And I, I, this part especially, I think just blew my mind. So in the book of Colossians, uh, Paul is writing. And at the end, he always gives like his greetings, say hello to this guy, say hello to this person, um, all that good stuff. And then here in Colossians 4.10, he says, my fellow prisoner, Articus, sends you his greetings, his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. A part of me feels like Paul, in his journey, maybe realized Barnabas was right on this one. Welcome him in, John Mark. And you see, John Mark bears a tremendous amount of fruit throughout the early church, all because, once again, Barnabas took a risk. And Paul was maybe like, yeah, Barnabas, you were right on that one. Take him in. Uh, Church, I think we really need to understand this is the slow process, faithfulness, commitment, and the little things is what truly changes the world. It's how God truly wants to work. Radical commitment to people. Like we need Barnabas now more than ever. And as I, as I was reflecting on this, and a lot of you know the Barnabases in my life just came to mind. Like people who took risks on me, who were faithful to me remained consistent, even though I didn't deserve it. Unconditional love and sacrifice. So many people came to mind. And I felt like it would be maybe a good exercise for us all um, that we could just pray through this. So usually, if you're new here, we have a time of dialogue where it's either like a question and response or some prayer time. And I figured now it would be just a good time to ask, who are your Barnabases? Who are the people in your life who have taken risks on you, remained faithful even when you made mistakes, who forgave you even when you made mistakes? And we're just going to have a time of just silent prayer just for 30 seconds. And as the Spirit kind of brings maybe someone to mind, 
I encourage you just thank God for them. Thank God for this beautiful example of Jesus, of a Barnabas in your life. And then once that 30 seconds are up, I'll pray, and then uh, you'll, be, you'll be good to go. Sound good? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for these people in our lives who just perhaps seem just behind the scenes, who just remain faithful, who didn't need the fanfare, who didn't need to be the center of attention, but just loved us unconditionally, who loved us even when we probably didn't deserve it, And God, through that, may we then go out into a world who desperately needs a Barnabas and be that as well for people. Love unconditionally, to take risks on people, to be faithful, consistent. All in the name of our great comforter, our great risk taker, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you so much, uh, Westside. I'm very thankful for just, just this opportunity you gave me. And um, yeah, may you be blessed and have a great day. Um, yeah, see ya. <laughs>